Welcome to the One in Five of Us Changing the Mental Health Landscape podcast. We are working to stop the stigma and start the conversation about mental health. One in five people will experience a mental health condition, but it takes on average eight to 10 years for someone to seek treatment. Hi, I'm Nancy Miller, the founder and executive director of One in Five, and I'm thrilled to host this podcast to help educate our community around mental health and wellness and to empower you to start the conversation. And I'm Kayla Wood, the social media specialist at One in Five. Together, we can stop the stigma and start the conversation. You belong here. We belong together. So today we're sitting down and talking with Kat Tenbarge, a journalist at Insider. Um, Kat, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we are like so excited. So um, we're just going to go ahead and dive in. Uh, We asked this question to um, pretty much every single one of our guests. Um, And yeah, let's just go ahead and get started. So um, Kat, can you tell us a little bit about your own mental health journey? Definitely. Um, Mental health has been a really big part of my life, starting from when I was in late high school. Um, ever since I was a kid, I didn't really have a word for it at the time or necessarily know that my experience was different from other people's, uh, but I've always struggled with anxiety. Um, and when I moved out and started to become more of an independent adult, um, I began to struggle with things like anxiety and depression, um, more like as I came into adulthood and as I like blossomed into adulthood. And so there was definitely a solid, like couple years of my life where those different conditions like took a, took a toll on my mental health. And I kind of started to learn techniques, even if I didn't really know like what I was doing to sort of mitigate those things. Um, and then one of my end goals was to actually go start going to a therapist and start getting on potentially like medication or other types of, um, you know, like medicine or therapy that could help me. And it wasn't until I graduated college that I actually found like a really good plan for myself. I experimented with like a lot of different types of uh, treatment options. And once I started working in my career is when I think like I was able to strike more of a balance between doing something that was fulfilling for me and then like taking care of my mental health on the side. So at this point in my life, I do like therapy once a week, which really helps me Um, not just with like my overarching mental health issues, but also just like dealing with the week in week out, like things I face as a, as a journalist and as a person. And then I also, um, have treatment for anxiety, depression, and ADHD, which are all things that I think are very common. And I feel like they should be less stigmatized because especially after the pandemic, a lot of people I think struggle with these types of things. Yeah, absolutely. And like, um, we've seen actually just like an increase um, in mental illness, especially among youth um, after the pandemic. And um, I think like, right now, a big, like, a big factor in anybody who's like working in the mental health field, um, or I I guess like a big force in like what we're doing is... um, just trying to like really reduce that stigma, especially for people who like mental illness might be new for them. Um, they're not like really familiar with it. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, yeah. 
Um, so let's actually, let's talk a little bit about like your experience with therapy. Um, so when did you start going to therapy? So the first experience I had with therapy was in high school and I saw a teletherapist, which at the time was kind of rare because therapy was still typically in person. Um, there was no pandemic to <laughs> restrict anyone from being able to do that. Um, and at that time, um, I wasn't really, I didn't really have like a name or a sense of what I was going through. So it was more just like a shot in the dark, but it was, it was always nice to have someone to talk to. Um, and in high school, I started to explore my sexuality. And so having an adult figure who was uh, non-judgmental, but also was willing to ask questions to like figure out how I was really feeling and not how like my parents or people in my life were expecting me to feel. That was really helpful. Um, and so I really enjoyed that experience. And then when I went to college, I started seeing in-person counselors and I saw like a bunch of different people through um, the university's like healthcare system. And again, I just really enjoyed being able to have like a non-judgmental safe space to talk about like my emotions and my feelings and those types of things were really helpful for me. Um, but I never got on an extremely like regimented program. Like all of my early ther therapy experiences uh, were kind of all over the place, like lots of different people. It wasn't very consistent. Um, and what I eventually like learned about myself and I'm doing now is that like having a consistent therapy session once a week with like a trusted person who is the same person every single time has been so advantageous um, because you still get that ability to talk about your feelings and what you're going through. Uh, but also as that person learns about you over time, they can become more helpful to you in identifying like, okay, well, over the past three weeks, you've started to talk about things in this way, but we know that you have struggled with this thing. So we can get you back on track and how you're perspective is on different things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in like our field, we talk a lot about how like finding a therapist is a lot like dating. Um, yes. <laughs> like, it's so rare to find like, a, like the perfect fit the first time around, right? Like it's, um, it, it just, it takes a while. And, um, we really try to like encourage people to, um, keep looking for that like perfect person that's gonna um like you were saying really be able to like learn about you and know you and like you trust them to like hear all of these like really private intimate details about your life um so yeah we really like don't get discouraged you know <laughs> like um it'll happen <laughs> um yeah there's definitely a lot of like trial and error so um yeah, like what was that kind of process like for you? Like you said that you really found um, somebody that you really trust and uh, have a good relationship with after college, right? Yeah, and the trial and error process is so true. And I think a lot of people, it can be really discouraging, um, especially as like a young adult when you're not used to having to even schedule your own doctor's appointments, um, let alone have to go through the process of like, scheduling with one person, seeing if they're a good fit for you, making like new appointments with a new person. Um, and I think one of the big things that can be like a roadblock for people is just that if the first medication you try or the first therapist that you have an appointment with doesn't work out for you or doesn't help you as much as you would hope for, 
like that doesn't mean that your mental health journey is over. (laughs) But I definitely would catch myself in those traps sometimes because um, the first couple of medications I tried in college, um, like I would experiment with different dosages and different combinations of things and it wouldn't always work. And it can be, it's really important to have like a consistent doctor or even just a consistent person in your life who's encouraging you uh, to keep adjusting things and trying different meds and seeing what really works for you. And so I know for me, like I tried probably like three different types of medication and many, many different types of dosages, as well as like a whole slew of different types of therapists and medical healthcare providers before I landed on something that felt like the right fit. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, it it is like such a daunting process. Like, I mean, you and I have known each other for a a while now. (laughs) Um, and we've had some of these conversations, uh, privately, but, um, yeah, like I, I remember like in college just looking for a therapist and like, you know, this that I've like gone in and out of therapy for years and like, um, even like working in like the mental health field, like there are times where I'm like, oh, I don't actually need therapy. Like, yeah, it just, it just therapy just doesn't work for me. But in reality, it's just like I haven't found that person. Um, yes. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's definitely like, a long process and one that you shouldn't give up on. Don't, don't take my lead. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah. So let's, um, let's kind of like pivot and start talking a little bit about like your career as a journalist. Um, so at Insider, you report on like pop culture and like internet culture, um, that kind of thing, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. So um, we know that like you write about some of these like major stories and you actually broke um, a story about Jeffree Star uh, mm-hmm. a few months ago, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> or time kind of, <laughs> but um, after that story broke, um, there was like a lot of backlash on the internet um, mm-hmm. about you as a journalist. Um, and being like verified on Twitter and like having a lot of followers and having people like interact with you a lot online. I'm sure it's not always positive. Right. Right. Yeah. That it's very interesting. Like um, a lot of the reporting that I've done is sort of falls into the category of me too reporting where you have someone sharing their trauma with you and you like corroborating different allegations against people who have big platforms and very vocal fan bases Um, And there's a lot of different elements to that that can be impactful on both your mental health, your source's mental health, um, and even like your readers and your audience, uh, because they're really heavy topics. Uh, They deal with a lot of trauma and you get a lot of really volatile responses from people, whether that's positive or negative. Um, And I've definitely experienced that in a heightened sense because of how online the like celebrities and people that I cover are. And so how online their fan bases are. And I've definitely had tons of instances where people have rather than attacked my like stories or sources in them gone after like me and my credibility. And so it's definitely like, it's something I have to factor into how I conduct myself in my job, in my like personal online life and just on all of these different platforms. Yeah. So, and that's like something that I can't even imagine. Like, at, um, like you're not even 24 years old yet. Right. Like mm-hmm. this is, um, 
like you are so visible, right? Um, mm-hmm. So how is that like process, I guess? How is that like visibility kind of impacted your mental health? It definitely, like, I can see how it triggers or puts stress on certain areas of my mental health. And I'm really glad that I started the process of, like, getting treatment before getting into this career just because I already had a support network and different, like, support systems established before doing this type of, like, very visible reporting, which is super helpful. And, like, having any level of scrutiny, I think, triggers most people's anxiety, even if you don't have an anxiety condition, just, like, being out there in front of the world, presenting information to people who may not like to hear it. um, It's stressful. And there are a lot of like work-related stresses associated with investigative reporting. It's incredibly, um, like the periods where you're focusing in on stories and you are reaching the point of publication. I've had many like sleepless all-nighters trying to get things together and make sure everything is correct. And there's a big responsibility to be accurate and to be fair. Um, So all of those things together can definitely take a toll on your mental health. And what I've noticed is that oftentimes with my workload, I'll have periods where my mental health is more severely impacted and then I'll have to like take breaks um, or otherwise like work on material that isn't as intense or isn't as like polarizing uh, to give myself a little bit of a break. And like, fortunately, my employer is really cognizant of mental health in the workplace and they're very open to having conversations about work-related stress and how they can help mitigate that. Um, And the biggest thing sometimes is just being able to like take a step back and not be so online or so involved with these types of like extremely stressful situations. Yeah. Um, That's, I mean, that's awesome that like Insider is very aware. Um, Yeah. That's that's not necessarily (laughs) always the case. Um, But yeah. So um, you kind of started talking about this a little bit, but when you do get into that space where you um, are feeling like your mental health is being impacted a little bit more um, than normal um, for you. uh, Because we don't want to like, yeah, there's, (laughs) um, but uh, what kind of like self-care practices and uh, routines do you use um, beyond just like um, what you were talking about with work to yeah kind of help improve your mental state? I've like I've tried a bunch of different uh, sort of strategies to mitigate like some of the additional stress on my mental health. Um, I've started doing like yoga and meditation more, which is honestly so helpful. And it seems so cliche. Um, and obviously meditation doesn't work for everybody, but I've always been, uh, really physically involved with things like dance, um, and exercise. Like I've always been a pretty active person. So things like yoga are really helpful for me because it's a low impact form of exercise, Um, And it typically is done in like a very relaxed space. And one of the core tenets of like yoga tends to be meditation and mindfulness. So those types of practices, I will even do them throughout the day. Like if I'm working on a big investigative project, um, I, my therapist encouraged me to segment my day and take more breaks than I may even think is necessary. uh, Because a lot of times you don't realize the stress you're putting on yourself until you've reached a point where you're like, oh, I feel like I'm about to like snap. So 
like giving myself more time throughout the day to segment my work-related tasks and then like household-related tasks and exercise and free time has been really, really helpful. Um, And in terms of self-care, I feel like I'm the type of person who balances between being uh, very like social and more introverted. So I like to go out and spend time with friends and people in like my social circles, especially after I've put out a really hard story. Like it can be so helpful to like just go out and get your mind off of things and talk to people about what's going on in their lives and sort of reconnect uh, with the outside world. But then I also like to take time for myself, which again, like you may not even realize you need that until it's reached a point where you really, really, really need that. So I definitely try to have more relaxed days in my schedule and take time off um, and just, just completely unwind and not give myself any responsibilities or tasks or anything to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, that's awesome. It seems like you have done a really good job about, or of like striking a really nice work-life balance, um, which I know like is, is really difficult to do right now because like a lot of people are working from home. Um, and I'm like, it's so difficult to separate your workspace from your home space if they're the same space. Um, yeah. Um, but that's awesome. Like, um, yeah. And so let's see, I kind of want to switch gears again a little bit and talk, um, a little bit about like the actual like reporting that you do. Um, like you were mm-hmm. saying, uh, a lot of the work that you do is very like related to the me too movement. Um, and that's like, that's really heavy topics. Um, so what has that been like just in general? Let's start there. (laughs) It's definitely, you know, it's something that I think a lot of people almost bristle at the idea of doing trauma reporting because it's very in depth. Um, and I think, Sometimes people don't see what the other side of that is like when they read those stories or hear those types of accusations. Um, But what the thorough reporting process looks like is oftentimes um, hours of conversations with people about trauma, which is really heavy for them um, because it's a form of re-traumatizing a lot of the time when people have to go back through in extreme detail and talk about these types of events. And then there's also added trauma for the reporter and for the editors and the people who have to listen to that content, pick it apart, uh, write about it. And it, I know in my case, like what I try to do with a lot of my reporting um, is actually like put myself in that person's shoes and write the, from a narrative perspective of like retelling the night or the event or whatever it is that happened. Um, and so I think it's really important to give yourself space to process it as well, uh, which is something that we don't think a lot about as reporters, uh, but particularly with trauma reporting in a way you are also reliving that trauma because you're becoming so close to it in the process of, of retelling it. Um, so that has definitely been something that on sometimes I will struggle with, but it's also fulfilling for me. Um, and it feels like I have a strong sense of purpose in doing that type of work. So I definitely like, I feel very fulfilled in this, in this career, but it does come with like those difficulties and those, those heavy processes. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that like trauma is something that uh, we talk about a lot, like in terms of like trauma informed care and like uh, working with like youth um, in that like atmosphere or like like area. Um, so conducting those interviews and like having those really, really deep conversations and um, talking about this trauma and like reliving this trauma and almost, and in, 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 in a sense, um, what has that been like for you? I know we kind of talked about this a little bit, um, but if you could go into more detail, that would be awesome. For sure. Yeah. It's been a, a really varied experience. Um, I would say because, like it's work that I'm absolutely drawn to for a lot of reasons. I think it's really important, obviously, and I really value doing it. Um, but it's also been quite like a personal journey alongside that to really like dive deep into these subject areas and like talk about these specific experiences. I feel like doing work about trauma like teaches you more than you expect um, because you learn more about the mentality that victims and survivors will develop over time. Um, and you see how trauma is lifelong and you see how these singular events um, can affect people over the course of their entire lives, like leading up to when they decide to speak out, when they face the public after speaking out, and then afterwards as they process that. Um, it, it's a huge personal undertaking for everyone involved. Like it really does affect everyone's lives so deeply. Um, and that's part of why I think the work is so fulfilling because it's so like all encompassing and crucial, um, for like the direction of people's lives. So that's been a huge learning curve for me being a part of that and learning how to do that. And then on an even more personal level, I feel like it's taught me so much about my own mental health and like my own stability, um, which is empowering in some ways because I see like how I'm able to like shelve a lot of this and do work that is sometimes helpful in providing people closure. Um, I know with the story that I did about David Dobrik's vlog squad, where one of the former members was accused of sexual assault, a lot of women and people in general reached out to me afterwards and talked to me about how the story resonated with them, even though it wasn't about them, but it just reflected an experience that maybe they had had or someone they loved had. And so that was like very, I guess, like earth shattering for me to realize that you can provide closure for people who aren't even involved in the stories through writing them, um, which is really cool. But it also is uh, obviously like an emotionally taxing process. So um, I think like as with my mental health journey in general, it makes sense to me that it's led me into this field, uh, but it's also just taught me so much more about myself and how like stress affects me and how like these types of anxieties and things can affect me um, and given me a lot more like perspective on how to mitigate those things in my own life. Yeah, yeah. I oh gosh, can only imagine that's like, so much pressure. <laughs> Let's kind of like tie this back into like mental health, like your mental health journey. Um, so like you've talked a lot about how doing this work has um, kind of led you on like a journey of self-discovery a little bit. Um <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about that and like what that's been like um, 
learning more about yourself through the work that you do. Definitely. Yeah. I think honestly, like my biggest takeaway is allowing myself to be vulnerable um, in a lot of different ways and sharing that with the world, even though I don't, I feel like with my social media platforms and like my platform as a reporter um, and as a writer, I don't always get to share that vulnerability um, because people can obviously use it against you. But in my personal life, I think I've started to open up and be more vulnerable about the way that, you know, this work has changed my perspective and how it's made me more empathetic um, and how it has like taught me a lot about how I handle stress. Um, and th- it's been like very, there's been a lot of ups and downs uh, because when I first started doing these big stories, I didn't necessarily expect uh, some of like the ramifications on my mental health. And so I went through periods of struggling, like after the Jeffree Star story, um, it was like, there was a big high and a big rush when the story first came out. And then that was followed by like kind of a prolonged low period. Um, and I had to kind of dig myself out of that and sort of like teach myself uh, how to build back like my confidence again uh, after seeing how much like the stress and the anxiety could like affect me. And so like since going through that, I've also experienced like more upswings and more like career success or just more like of a presence online. Um, and that can also be followed by downswings of seeing how that can affect especially my anxiety um, because, like anxiety is something that it's obviously really difficult to control. (laughs) You can never really control it entirely. So you kind of just have to like teach yourself new sort of like strategies and coping mechanisms uh, to mitigate that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like what you were saying earlier about like the trauma informed care, you just kind of throw it at the wall and see what sticks. Exactly. Um, (laughs) It definitely like it's a process. Um, So would you say like, that this work has like made you more like more aware of like mental health. I know that you've like lived with mental illness for a while. So like, obviously you were already aware of it, but um, yeah. I would definitely say yes. I think that before I started doing this work, I considered myself someone who was pretty um, knowledgeable just in terms of like, I think, our generation, like younger millennials, older Gen Zs, like we have less of a a generational stigma toward mental health in that people are more willing to talk about it and people are more um, aware of certain resources and certain like possibilities for them, um, which is amazing. But I still think there's obviously a lot of work to be done, um, both in communicating that to older generations, reducing other types of stigmas that have appeared Um, And I think above all, just like ensuring that people have like access to the types of care that they need. Um, But like doing this work has just absolutely shown me a whole new side of things that I had never personally confronted before. Um, A lot of the people who I talk to as sources are vulnerable for reasons outside of my prior understanding. Um, Because a lot of times when you talk to people who have experienced trauma, Uh, it's vulnerable people who get preyed on a lot of the times. And so you really do start to see how class structures and uh, wealth and power can really like affect the dynamics between people. And it has given me such a different perspective on just like communication um, and how like the world operates. And so that's been 
you know, both good and bad because you see the possibility for good to come out of that. But you also see a lot of a lot of like the bad side of certain industries um, and certain relationships between like fans and creators and like employees and bosses um, and in people's interpersonal relationships with one another. So it, it can sometimes make you feel almost pessimistic. Um, and the other side of that is also when you expose these things and you shine a light on these things, a lot of the world isn't ready to recognize that, whether it's because they're a fan of that person or uh, one thing that I've noticed more and more is that a lot of people have repressed their own trauma um, or come up with a way to cope with their own trauma that in turn makes them less empathetic toward others. And so you can kind of put those pieces together as well. And I think that like what I've learned from that is just that we have so much room to grow in terms of educating people about trauma and mental health um, and how like how exact existing power structures affect our dynamics with one another. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's like the world is changing. We know that. <laughs> um, and like you said, like we've, we've seen an, upward trend in mental health awareness um and like way less stigma around mental illness than there used to be and that's like that's what the mission of one in five is is to you know prevent suicide by erasing the stigma of mental illness and promoting optimal mental wellness (laughs) our mission statement um but it's it really does like start with young people. Um, and like you were saying, like our generation um, and especially like this new generation coming up, like we've definitely seen that people are like starting, like are, are happy to talk about it or maybe not happy, but um, very, very willing to talk about like their own history and like their, um, their journeys and everything like that. And it's, I, I see a lot of like positive things coming from that in the future. And it's, it's really like exciting to be kind of on that like precipice um, of like that conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I'm, I'm sure like you see it from a different angle with like talking to the people who are talking about mental health and mental illness and trauma and um, all these things. And it's just, uh, it is like, like you were saying, both good and bad, but I'm I'm optimistic for where it's going to go. Um, <laughs> I don't really know where I'm thinking that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, just put just put my two cents in. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, Kat, um, is there anything else that like we have not discussed today that you would like to talk about? I feel like we've covered the whole gamut. <laughs> But I feel like these conversations are so crucial, like moving forward. I think that people like one thing that I want to impart on like my audience and people who read my work, I think is just like the theme of empathy. We lose a lot of empathy online because we oftentimes are given the opportunity to be faceless um, and to share things without fearing like the consequence of them impacting our real lives. Um, and because of that, I think a lot of people have a reduced sense of empathy when it comes to what 
how we, how our culture uh, exists in the online world. And I would wish that people would take a little more time to be a little bit more caring um, and think about the fact that even if someone is saying something you vehemently disagree with, like question where they're coming from and question their perspective. Some of like my harshest critics, I came to find out were people who were dealing with a lot of internal issues and you can see how they project that onto other people because they still have trauma that they haven't worked through. So I don't know. It's taught me a lot about just like interacting with other people. And I would hope that other people can learn from that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kat, you have been absolutely uh, wonderful to speak to today. Um, thank you so much for sharing your insight and your knowledge on um, what it's like to be um, an investigative reporter in the digital age um, and how that impacts your own mental health and, um, you know, what you've seen uh, in terms of like other people's mental health and, and all that stuff. Um, you've been an absolute wealth of knowledge. Um, thank you. Yeah, uh, thank you so thank much. You great questions. <laughs> We're so excited to see um, all the wonderful things that you do and all the um, new pieces that come out. Um, you're doing fantastic work and we're just uh we're really we're really excited about it so thank you absolutely absolutely all right thanks so much cut Feel